It's the Mike Novak Show with Peggy Malecki. Green, gardening, and environment radio. Flavored with a dash of humor. Welcome to intelligent, irreverent talk about plants and the planet they grow on. Your questions, comments, and participation are always welcome on Facebook and Instagram at The Mike Novak Show and at Mike Now on Twitter. Good planets are hard to find. Temperate zones and tropic climes. True currents and thriving seas. Wind blowing through breathing trees. Strong ozone and safe sunshine. Well, good planets are hard to find. Good planets are in the main. Brought to you by Bartlett Tree Experts. Every tree needs a champion. Go to Bartlett.com. Jet streams, perfect air. And here they are, Peggy Malecki and Mike Nova. Good planets are in the main. Right. And welcome, everybody, to the show. And, welcome, uh, welcome, 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 welcome. It's tomato mania. Tomato mania. Ooh, it's peony mania. It is. Mm, uh, smells good too. Ming Aurelia <laughs> mania. Uh, no, it's tomato mania. Wait, let's do the mania. Tomato mania. Tomato mania. I have no pride, as you can see. Uh, <laughs> I rescued these from my uh, agave, so uh, because I didn't want to poke myself in the eye, especially moving it outside this year was was a challenge. I just thought I'm gonna I'm gonna hurt myself just trying to move yeah. this thing. If you've ever grown an agave, and this one is huge. This is like three feet you, by you, three you feet. You get the point. Yeah. Uh, All right. Well, if we're going to, if we're, okay, now I see, I wasn't ready for that, but uh, here it is. All right. Maybe we need some of much. these because cause we've got some uh, this uh, week that I'm going to play for you because one of our guests sent me some fun stuff that I'm going to have to use on the show um and i'll try not to get too crazy because i say this calls for action and now nip it in the bud uh, right we might have to do that might have to just nip it well it is gardening season yes it is and uh we're it's tomato season here we are uh the uh tomato mania first week oh june and this is traditionally in the upper midwest when uh for years i've told people don't wait. I mean, don't uh, don't do anything before uh, June first. But that might not be right. I mean, uh, one of our uh, our guests today, and I should tell you, we have our our two favorite tomato guys on the program, um, uh, Keith Mueller, AC, uh, aka KC Tomato, also known as KC Tomato, mm-hmm. and Craig Lahulier, um, and How's that's that, that Lahulier. Um, <laughs> Who is the author of Epic Tomatoes, and we'll we'll do a product placement which, on which that. I don't have sitting here, so I'll have to grab product placement. I do. There's product. Um, product, um, product. Oh, and it changed the color of my screen. Wow, that's interesting. Okay, it's uh, too many reds in there. Too much tomato I know, stuff. And I'm sitting here looking tanned, which I'm not. 
No, not on my screen. You look, okay. you look, okay. You, are you, uh, look a little green, maybe. I'm, I'm seeing a little green there. Um, uh, are you about to turn into the Incredible Hulk? Or are you just green with envy because uh, Craig LaHoulier has already got squash. He's going to be picking squash in his garden. Uh, that's not fair. Uh, that's because he lives in North Carolina. He doesn't live close to a big lake. Um, no, he doesn't live close to a, a big lake. And he's got that and beans. And I'm like, come on. I haven't even gotten my beans in the ground yet. Come on, dude. Uh, we'll, we'll talk about that. So it's Tomato Mania 5. And guess what? We're mm-hmm. going to go extra long today because we always run out of time when we talk to these guys. So we figured, you know what? Let's uh, let's let's just let's do, it. do it. Yeah. And so that means you need to get your questions in, uh, you know, pop them mm-hmm. up on the screen there. Um, and and yep. I sh- I'm sure a lot of you are and just we got, a- we got Skeet, Dan, Bruce. Hey, good morning, everybody. I'm sure a lot of you have already uh, gotten your tomato plants. Maybe some of you have them uh, outside already. Um, mine are sitting outside. They're not in any. They're not planted any in anything. They're still in their little containers waiting for. Um, Mm. a generous soul to come and (laughs) put them in the ground or in a big pot. Uh, I don't know. Sounds like an afternoon project. I don't know who that guy is going to be though, because, uh, I I don't have time for that stuff, but wait, I might have time for that stuff. Um, in the very near future, those of you who get our newsletter, uh, may have noticed that on Friday, um, we sent one out and, uh, we had a little bit of an announcement on there and it's about the show and those of you who who didn't get the newsletter why haven't you signed up for the newsletter at mikenovak.net you need to and you're going to need to do it now because if you want to find out what's going on about the show uh in the coming months uh that's going to be a good thing um because uh we're taking a break uh peggy and i um uncle mike uh, needs some time off and uh he's taking it uh, and so next week will be our final show for a while. I don't know how long that is. I'll be really honest with you. Not exactly sure what's going to happen. Um, but the regular Sunday morning at 9 a.m., that's not going to happen for a, a little while. And there may be specials uh, come up and special things that we do. Um, I don't know. I can't tell you because uh, I haven't plotted it all out. All I know is that... Um, um, uh, I needed to pull the plug right now for a peace of mind, and um, uh, that's what I'm doing. Uh, so uh, as, you, as you can see, Peggy had very little to do with the decision. Mike just said, I'm out of here. And uh, so um, uh, and I've gotten some wonderful notes from people, by the way, people who, who received the newsletter and just such some very kind, kind mm-hmm. comments from people who, who, who said that. And most of them said, you know – do what you got to do. And uh, I really appreciate uh, folks saying that. Um, and one guest asking if it was his fault. Uh, yes, and it was his fault. Uh, <laughs> so it's what I told him. It's like, yeah, it's you. You, you were, you're, you're what caused this. Uh, no, no, no particular no, guest. No, no, no. No, no, no. <laughs> no particular guest. Just all of them in general caused this. All right. Well, you, you've also been doing this for 25 plus years. Yeah, not well, not you know, piloting the space shuttle and mm-hmm. um, and being host and writing a blog all at once, but yeah, it's it's actually gotten harder over the years, it hasn't gotten easier. Um, and that's that that's not the way these things are supposed to work, it's supposed to calm down. And so, until yeah. I can figure out a way to make this a little bit easier, 
uh, I got to take a little time off. So, and, and maybe I'll get around to planting my tomatoes. So, oh, there, there you go. All right. And all so, the other plants piled up in your yard. Well, there aren't too many. Well, what I could do is trim all the plants that, uh, oh my gosh, do I have a jungle out there? It's been a wet, cool spring and lordy. Um, I, I have not, <laughs> I have not even taken out the weed whacker. Um, nothing yet so far. So, um, I will. Well, thank you, Bruce. Bruce says Sunday mornings will not be the same. Yep. Uh, for me either. Um, and in case any viewers wondering why I keep doing this, I can't get restreamed to work on this computer. So it's on that computer. Hmm. Well, restream does not work with Mac. I was you, told, except it does, but it doesn't work with Monterey. It works with Sierra. Don't ask. Is Are those operating systems? Yes. Mm-hmm. Nice. It's so nice. So nice that Restream figured out how to play nice with Mac uh, or not. (laughs) Yeah. Really? Okay. All right. So uh, let's just, let's just do it. Let's get to Tomato Mania 5 because those... uh, Mania! uh, uh, Right there. And (laughs) there they are. Craig LaHoulier. You can go to uh, CraigLahoulier.com. Keith Mueller, Mr. Casey Tomato. Uh, Welcome. Good morning to both of you. Good morning. Good morning. Good morning, guys. And our, our obligatory because it's in our contract. We have I have to hold up this <laughs> epic tomatoes. Uh, and every time I do, it changes the color of the screen. It's so interesting, and I have to change it back by putting my hand up there. So, so uh, Craig, do you have growing vegetables and straw bales? We never hold that one up. Do you have that? Um, it's somewhere. I'll find it on a break. But it, it's 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 back there in my in my library. And Mike, when you put that little red thing in your nose, I thought that was going to be a tomato. I was waiting oh, for all really? the juice to stream down your face. I think that yeah. would have been really cool. That would be, you know, it, but I would I would just have to go like that, and, and then watch it all dribble down like this. I think I, you, you. I've got one in there. I could I could do that. Uh, but I don't want to waste it because it's one of those hothouse tomatoes that uh, that are now actually pretty good. Uh, we we talked to our buddy Bob Benenson from Local Food Forum the other week, um, and one of the things he's pointed out is that uh, growers have gotten really good at at producing tomatoes that taste like a tomato indoors. Uh, you, you you pay a little bit more for them, uh, but it's I think it's a it's a it's progress, uh, don't you, Craig? It's probably progress, and I'll confess to being a seasonal eater. So uh, we our last fresh tomato we eat is the last one we grow, and the first one I eat is the next one I grow the following season. So yep. we just take tomatoes totally off our menu wow. for six months. Yep. yep. Well, I, we, I, I, feel, I kind of feel the same way. It's like... we, uh, we, we cheat occasionally. Do you do the same thing, Keith? Uh, no, if there's, there's good tomatoes, I'll eat them. I, I like fresh tomatoes and, uh, I usually stick to the cherries and the, eh, they come in a pack now. They're like mini San Marzanos mm. and, uh, they're mm-hmm. really good. Um, but yeah, there's good varieties out there. There's a lot of breeding being done for, uh, hothouse types with better flavor. Yeah. And, and that, that's the point that, uh, Bob was making is that, uh, the hothouse folks, uh, have are doing more of a what would you call them? Um, uh, uh, what's what's? Oh, I can't think of of the word. The uh, that uh, boutique kind of boutique tomatoes uh, that actually I have. Uh, I suppose you know, um, 
like uh, Mighty Vine here in the Chicago area grows mm -hmm. those. Um, and, uh, and you can find those in a lot of grocery stores, and they're a little uh, more expensive. Uh, of course, all food is a little more expensive right now, as we know. It's something we're dealing with. Yeah, we're, we're actually working our way through the 63 quarts that we canned and the 30 quarts of sauce and the bags of frozen ones. So we, it went bonkers last year. So we're just eating tomatoes that we, that we preserved. And I, have, I have proof of this. Uh, this is a quote. <laughs> there it is. <laughs> yeah, this is what uh, Craig sent me. And not everybody can do this, Craig, because not everybody uh, in the world has a crop like this. Uh, and if you're listening on the podcast and not watching us, uh, what we have here is f about 50 pounds of tomatoes, uh, which represents one day's harvest. Uh, this is from last year, not this year, obviously, because it's a little early for that. Uh, but this is last year, and you were picking uh, 50 pounds a day. That's, that's insanity itself. It's horrifying. It was frightening <laughs> because, <laughs> because tomatoes are extremely perishable and, you know, you have to watch for the fruit flies and the little smelly puddles that form under the ones that are a little, uh, a little old. So, yeah. And here's an interesting thing is that COVID <clears throat> forest canning supplies to disappear. So we had friends from all over the country sending us ball jars and lids that could find them. So it was pretty harrowing to uh, to can during times of COVID. That that is really fascinating because uh, it's something that yet yeah, one more example of how COVID really wreaked havoc with um, um, with the world economy and continues. Yeah. Part of the reason we have inflation right now is COVID. Part of it is also a war in Ukraine, um, but a lot of it has to do with the supply lines just trying to get back to where they were two and a half years ago. Um, and there's not a lot you can do about it, but I hadn't thought about the jars, but that makes perfect mm -hmm. sense. Um, but the, the flip side of that is how many people started gardening during the COVID crisis, and probably a lot of them grew tomatoes because everybody wants to grow tomato. All right, I'll, let me ask, and I'll start with Keith here. Uh, you guys are the you guys are the tomato snobs. You're the ones who are. <laughs> Craig's not going to buy a tomato unless he grows it himself. Thank you, thank you, Keith, for being more reasonable about that. Uh, but Keith, I'll start with you. Uh, and I forgot what the question was. <laughs> oh, Lordy, it was just uh, it was going to be. Uh, what what was I talking about? Help help me out here. Uh, we I was. Talking about um, being more reasonable about and, probably about eating things earlier or selection supply chains uh, canning jars not be available yeah I, oh gosh I have I no got idea it. and I think you wanted our, to talk one of our about wanted to know if, if there were seed problems go ahead sorry Craig I think Mike you also wanted to talk about sustainability at some point is that well where you're I, go? I did no that I wasn't going to go there yet um, okay but it but it w was going to be I think related to that but boy but when it goes it okay. just goes okay. all right. right so then a question for Craig 50 pounds <laughs> of tomatoes a day. what motivates you to do that um, R&D and Keith will know this very well when you are uh, investigating how particular varieties do. So wonderful families end up sharing their family heirlooms with you. You start doing breeding projects. You need to grow some of your favorites. 
and you're also growing a garden to be part of a course. So my garden did have to be um, really good last year, good looking and good performing. That's what, what does it. And the, the fringe benefit, of course, is all of that produce. And the terror in it is all of that produce because uh, <laughs> na- neighbors would start running away when they saw us starting to walk down the street with bags of tomatoes and such. Um, <laughs> or, they came, or they came with bags of zucchini for you. Uh, um, we had a lot of those, too. So, uh, yes, we were, uh, we're in a dead end street. There's only like eight neighbors. So we, we managed to feed this neighborhood. Pretty well, well, and that's and that's eight fewer wow. than you had the year before because they keep moving away from you. <laughs> well, what can I say? <laughs> uh, but but I but I will pop uh, one thing in here um, that um, and this and this is about you. This is from Keith. Keith sent this to me, and Craig, I think it refers to you. You know, when a tomato grows out of your forehead, <laughs> it gets you thinking. All right, so. Uh... <laughs> oh, gosh. <laughs> uh... okay, so so I, I'm, I'm going to take a step back as well. All right, because uh, we're, we're already for, out of control here, so. For, for listeners who might be new to Craig and Casey, um, and you're saying R&D. So. Mm-hmm. Tell us a little bit about your R&D. And right before we went on the air, you had a giant box full of tomato seeds. Yeah. Um, R&D, research and development. And mm-hmm. it's so garden. I think people who are tomato obsessed go through stages and you may come into it through discovering heirloom. So you can't wait to grow every heirloom you can get your hand on. And then you discover seed banks and you start plumbing the depths of those, but eventually it comes into wanting to try creating some of your own. And I think, I I can't wait to hear what Keith says about this, but we did do the dwarf tomato breeding project. And this, my little prop here is the 145 varieties that are now released from that project. So these are all sent to be by Mike Dunton of Victory Seeds and a few other companies such as Fruition and Southern Exposure sent me there. So this is the outpouring of 17 years work with about a thousand gardeners all over the world. And it's kind of gratifying to see it all summed up in one box of seeds. Mm-hmm. Um, and so let's talk to Keith about your R and D uh, because you are okay. a tomato grower and breeder. You've created varieties. In fact, folks, we are going, <laughs> going to give you a chance on this show today to help name a variety that Keith is desperately seeking a name for, um, and uh, we other than letters and numbers. Uh, right, that's that's Keith's uh, mo. He he does letters and numbers, numbers and and, and yeah, whatever. Uh, but we need a real name for it, and uh, you guys are going to be able to help us out. So, but tell us about the kind of um, R and D that you do in your own plots, Keith. Okay, so. Um... To go back a little bit, um, I get into doing this because I wanted to solve problems, and I also was like, I bet that could be better. And so it's kind of chasing that, and by doing that through the years, for about 30 years now, I've met a lot of interesting people, um, a lot of different people doing different things different ways. So there's always something there new for me to learn and to share with other people. So it's, it's enjoyable from that aspect. Um, mm-hmm. uh, and then just, it just feeds my curiosity. Um, 
So what I I like to look at the oddities. Uh, I, if Craig is like the the grandparents of tomatoes, um, some of the stuff I look at is like the great grandparents of tomatoes. So the more wild types, what's coming from them? There's problems with that, but there's also some really cool potential from all that. All right, and and we should mention that among the things you do, you work with various projects. In fact, you, you continue, we've talked about this on our program before, Keith, we're um, out of the University of Wisconsin. Uh, you work with the um, Seed to Kitchen Collaborative. Uh, you're also part of the Open Source Seed Initiative, the Culinary Breeding Network. How do those all relate to each other? Um, they all kind of came out of um, the Organic Seed Alliance. And it's a group of people that started, um, I believe, in the Pacific Northwest to develop varieties specifically for organic growers. Um, there wasn't a lot being done, and so this group formed to do that. Uh, out of that spun the Culinary Breeding Network, which is a, a fantastic uh, woman, uh, Lane Selman. Um, and what uh, she does is she coordinates. She started coordinating chefs, breeders, and farmers, put them together, and help them select varieties for their own needs and um, take it a step further. So they do really cool events and things. Um, mm -hmm. But I'm also working locally with uh, the Extension here on a WIC program. They're part of the SeedLink program, which is also in with the um, Madison people. It's, it's, it gets overwhelming for me because I kind of forget um, – all these different groups of people, I don't forget them, but I forget to mention them. Um, uh, I, I've received funding for my work from that comes from the, uh, uh, the USDA Organic Research and Extension Initiative. That's funneled through OSA, which is funneled through Madison, Wisconsin, to do part of this project. And uh, it was supposed to help me travel around and meet growers, especially up there in the uh, upper Midwest, but uh, because of COVID, that's kind of changed. But I will be up in Madison this summer on August 21st for an event with the Culinary Breeding Network. And we're going to have um, the varieties there. Chefs are going to do special dishes with them. And it's going to be at a really place called the Garver Mill in downtown um, Madison. And it's, it's going to be, I don't know the exact price, but... From what I've heard, it's going to be real reasonable because some of the events now, they get up $100, $150, you know. A lot of that's alcohol, and I can't drink alcohol. So <laughs> I, I'm like, I don't ever go to these things because it's like uh, paying for the alcohol. But I, love the, I love the food, and I love look, uh, talking yeah. and meeting the people. Uh, and that I is that... Craig... Go ahead. Sorry. Yeah. Oh, I know Craig loves that too. Yeah. Well, you know, so I think it, 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 <laughs> yeah, I'm retired, but you know, it's really interesting because Keith and I, it's, it's worth raising how Keith and I met because it was really as our passions were germinating to, to use a bad gardening pun, where's the little noise, um, <laughs> but Keith, <laughs> but Keith <laughs> All right, all right. Yeah. I can, I can, I can go back to. Uh, are, are we going to have to listen to all of these things, Mike, for the uh, next two weeks? Yes. Oh gosh. Okay. <laughs> but Keith toured my garden when I was at the very beginnings of my delving into all of these heirlooms, and we, Keith used a very important word when he spoke a little while ago, and it's curiosity. So mm -hmm. if you put a, mil a million gardeners in a room, 
maybe 10 or 20 of them will actually have the curiosity, the depth of curiosity that sends them on the types of journeys that Keith and I are on. And curiosity to me is one of the things that helps us get through the difficult place we are in the world right now, because it means you're always interested in something. You're always researching something Mm -hmm. and look where it led me and look where it led Keith. And in a way we're both still at kind of the beginnings of where we're going to end up. So it's, it's pretty exciting to be playing in this sandbox. And I'm really pleased to get to have gotten to know Keith the way I did. And of course, you don't see him except on our show now. This is where you mm-hmm. and Keith meet up. And I'm a conduit. I'm happy to be the conduit <laughs> that keeps your relationship intact. Uh, but uh, that said, Craig, uh, you're stepping back somewhat from all of this, especially this year. You, you're you growing, what, half the tomatoes that you grew last yeah. year? Well, and, and you know, when you, you spoke at the beginning, Mike, about stepping back from the show, what I've found in, in my 66 year old if that brings any wisdom of all is sometimes you have to end things to begin things and i think what you're doing is really great i've reduced my garden size i've ended my participation in some online forums i stopped selling seedlings just because we're in a place where it's gorgeous and i want to get out and hike and enjoy it as much as possible so uh my 109 plants this year is 50 My 2,000 seedlings that I sold were down to a couple of hundred, but I don't feel like I'm missing anything. I'm just getting myself ready to decide what's going to be next. But it is much easier tending 50 plants than 109, and I'll be able to spend much more time looking at the observations and the attributes of those 50 that I'm growing. Yeah, uh, but you're sticking to your blog post, uh, and you Mm. say you're finding more enjoyment there. I love to write, and um, it was part when the book came out, and it was part, I'm not comfortable with being a particularly public person, and the blog is the protective screen, in a way, that allows me to write and send stuff out there, but then I'm free to go and hike in the woods and, you know, not have to talk on the phone a lot. Um, Even as it is, I I answer one or two hours of gardening question emails every night before I go to bed. Wow. And that, that's joyful for me because I'm able to share what I've learned and help gardeners garden. And then they're sharing with me things that they do and things that work. So it kind of helps us all grow and make this even more enjoyable. And uh, what kind of questions have you been getting uh, lately? <laughs> um, pictures of leaves. What's wrong with my plant? Uh, <laughs> of course. Pictures, pictures, that, yeah. pictures of seedlings. Uh, why aren't they growing? Um the slugs are eating the plants in my straw bales. Why is that? I mean, they're all fantastic questions. And then you get the, mm-hmm. the really tricky ones like, um, should I put crushed egg cells in, in my planting hole? Should I use Epsom salt? So you, you also get a lot of the urban legend type questions, which are really interesting because you don't want to rain on anybody's parade. But as a scientist, and Keith's a scientist, you do want to make assessments of things based on control studies and knowledge. So uh, it, it gives you a chance to play an interesting role in helping to pick people's curiosity. If that sounds like mm-hmm. it works for you, try it on one plant and not the other plant, you know, do it real rigorously and then let me know what you find out. So you well, can that- actually create citizen scientists. Yeah, and I think we should talk about some of those myths uh, about uh, – in mm-hmm. fact, one of the things I want to do on uh, on the show today is uh, – gets to some of the basics uh because we go 
we get into the esoteric here with you guys um, and plant breeding and so forth, the stuff that folks are not going to do in their own backyards. Uh, what they yeah. want to know is how big, how big a hole do I dig? What do I put in it? Uh, how, how, how big of a steak do I need? Steak versus tomato cage versus trellis versus <laughs> do you top cut? Do you, do you pinch right. off the suckers? What do you do? What is uh, what is uh, consistent watering? Because that's the key to tomatoes. Uh, a lot of us don't even know what that is. Uh, those Versus kinds of things. So when yeah. we come back from the break, that's the, I think that's that's where we're going to start. But I sh- I do want to get into some of the the the, the work you're doing a, a, as well, um, and and talk about the advantages of of growing dwarf tomatoes, which uh, uh, you've you've mentioned and you showed us your box of uh, of yeah. seeds. We we had a very quick question. I think we can answer maybe very quickly before we we break though uh, from one of our viewers uh the the question is are there problems with seed growers because plants and seeds are getting more expensive how would you address that keith uh what do you think about that one how would i address it um the issue is just try to grow more and encourage people to buy from uh smaller seed companies um to get them funded and doing more um to, uh, because they're usually on shoestring budgets, and uh, mm-hmm. you know they need, they need to make a profit. Um, it's just a supply side issue for now, and um, you know it waxes and wanes. But uh, I don't really have any great things about that. Uh, any insight? Uh, but but here's yes. what. Uh, and and I think you're right. I think it's it's just a one more manifestation. Of the right. pa- pandemic over the last couple of years, supply chain issues, yeah. as and as you mentioned, Keith, some of these companies are very small, and their profit margins are very small. Uh, and, yeah. and, and Mike, and you mentioned about, you. Go ahead, Peggy. Go ahead, Craig. You Let's mentioned say COVID. Can... <laughs> COVID. COVID created tons of new gardeners, which put amazing yep. pressure on the seed companies. And so mm-hmm. you would go into seed sites. Mike Dunton of Victory is a good friend of mine. Rob Johnson of Johnny's, I, I talked to him. They were having to close their shopping cart down. They literally could mm-hmm. not keep up with seed orders. Yep. Their stock was getting completely obliterated. And so, but think about postage and how postage costs have risen. And so when I look at a seed catalog now, and I don't look at seed catalogs very often, and Keith will know why, because when you've got large seed collections, you really don't have to buy that much seed anymore. But I'm starting to see packets of hybrid tomato seeds for $15 and $20 for 20 to 25 seeds. Part of this is manifestation of the fact that I've got something really unique, and I'm going to price it. I'll see what the market can bear. But part of it also is people involved in seed creation and seed breeding have made very little money over the many years. So I think there's an attempt to get some leveling and to get some um, money back in the pockets of people who are doing some of this work. Like for our dwarf breeding project, we didn't get paid very well, zero. Uh, We did it because it was fun and that's fine, but there's a lot of breeders out there who are doing great work and they need to make a living at it. So it's, it's a simple question with a lot of very complex feeds into the answer. Yeah. And I think you said it very well. Is there something Peggy wanted to add before we break here? Yeah. What Craig, Craig touched on that was, and we have, we've talked about this with Chris Beatty's as well of before the pandemic, there was a certain level of expected purchase 
And then all of a sudden, everybody's ordering seeds the last two to three years and maybe ordering more because they were being told there's going to be a shortage. Mm -hmm. So people started seed hoarding and suddenly, yeah, yeah, they couldn't keep up. There wasn't enough inventory because there hadn't been enough grown. Right. And it's it's still that backlog and catch up, I would imagine. Yes, yeah, Keith. Keith. I got one point. Um, labor is such a big issue with these seed companies, yes. too. They're having trouble finding labor. Even the universities. Um, I started off as an undergrad working as a research assistant. That's what got me in the door. And um, that helped pay my way through college. Um, the problem is now um, a university professor in uh, Nebraska there. He wants to find these undergrads to go help him work out in the field, but he can't compete because there's a cap at the university of how much they can pay out for those jobs. And if a student can go make 4 or $5 an hour more working at Target or McDonald's or something, you know, that's what they're going to do. They're not, you know, they're not going to go out and work in a hot field unless they're really focused about what they want to do. And even then with yeah. inflation, is it going to be enough? So universities are having problems too. Um, yeah, but that's well. not. Come on, Target's not science. Those students they want to work for free, don't they? Uh, no, <laughs> probably, right. probably not. All right, working for free. Don't we have to take a break? Yeah, we do. It's the Mike Novak Show with Peggy Malecki. We're talking to Craig Lahulier, Keith Mueller. Uh, and we're talking tomatoes because it's tomato mania. Mania five. five. <laughs> and and um, one of the things I learned this week is that Keith wants to uh, he wants to take over my show when I drop out for uh, a, a, a little while, however long that is, because and he's proved it by sending me all these drop-ins for the show <laughs> and all all these audio. Yep, I, you know, and this is this is this is now I finally send them. This is this is uh, Keith's level of humor, uh, and uh, so as we're going into a commercial, this is the perfect drop-in. Brace yourself while corporate America tries to sell us its wretched things. All right, so uh, <laughs> uh, there's more of these, and now you have to watch you this did break. Talk to our sponsors first, didn't you? Uh, nope. Uh, I've only yeah. got. To, what are they going to do? Fire me? Uh, I got. I got. I got. I got you one. Can't fire more. me? I quit. I quit. Right. Exactly. Thank you. <laughs> oh dear. All right. So you got to watch. So one of the other things that Keith sent me, and it's a surprise here at the end of this break. Uh, be watching for it, Keith, because you inspired me to do this. So here we go. We'll we'll be back with Craig Lahulier and Keith Mueller right after this. This is Vic from Happy Leaf. Today we're going to talk about how grow lights work. Plants need three things. They need water, they need nutrients, and they need light. The sun provides wonderful light for growing plants outdoors, but indoors you need a grow light. So how do grow lights work? We know what kinds of colors plants like, so various types of grow lights are made for different types of plants. Recently, LED grow lights have made a dramatic improvement in the types of grow lights we can make. The red light allows us to make the plant grow vertical and to flower and the blue light makes the plant bushy and strong. 
Happy Leaf LED grow lights have the precise red and blue to make plants grow very well. We know that plants look happy if they're green to us, but remember that they reflect green light as opposed to using it. From spring seed and soil treatments, to summer foliar feeding, to fall stubble digesters, Blazing Star provides microbial tools from tiny biologicals for natural and organic farmers. They have solutions for home gardeners, too. And Blazing Star offers agroecological education and consulting, especially for permaculture work in Zones 4 and 5. Learn more about these great folks at blazing-star.com. don't really have a favorite tree specifically. Trees are so different and at different ages they have different things that make them interesting. Scott's pine trees have fantastic bark. The giant redwood is fantastic again because of the bark and the size of it. My name is Gary Hill and trees are my thing. But I'm also into shrubs. Keep calm and prune on. Out of his secret garden somewhere in New Jersey comes your newest favorite superhero. It is I, Captain Vegetable, with my carrot and my celery. Eating crunchy vegetables is good for me, and they're good for you, so eat them too. For teeth so strong your whole life long, eat celery and carrots by the bunch. Three cheers for me, Captain Vegetable. Crunch, crunch, crunch. And and of course, <laughs> Ooh, we, we we we're we're interviewing a plant. <laughs> yeah, well, weren't we before? Oh, uh, we Keith has been replaced by a tomato plant. Look at that! And thank there's you. For, a, there, there's a pun in here somewhere, but I'm I'm not I even going to. I missed that. Whatever it was. Out. I, you, you, uh, I can't. You didn't miss it. You heard it. You had the the audio on, didn't you? Oh, I had the earplugs, and I ran outside to grab an example. <laughs> I can't believe this. I do this for you, I, and you don't I, even see it. And you want to know I, what I, I play? Yeah. Here's what I played. Out of his secret <laughs> garden somewhere in New Jersey comes your newest favorite superhero. I love this. Captain Vegetable with my carrot and my celery. Eating crunchy vegetables is good for me. And they're good for you, so eat them too. For teeth so strong your whole life long. Eat celery and carrots by the bunch. Three cheers for me, Captain Vegetable. Crunch, crunch, crunch. Okay. And this is because Keith sent me, uh, you sent me like a five-second clip of that, or seven seconds, and I thought, I'm going to find the original. And uh, that's uh, Sesame Street, of course, and of, and of course, uh, YouTube is going to say, oh, you don't have the rights to play that. What are you going to do, YouTube? Fire me? You can't fire me. I quit. All right. <laughs> so, uh, But I can't believe it took you this long after all these years to send me that, if I had known, I'd have been playing that every week. Okay, you know I'd be playing. Oh, yeah. 
<laughs> that would that would become the intro to the second half of the show right there, I think. It's that would new be. earworm already. I've got <laughs> Captain <laughs> Vegetable going through I, my head. It is I, Captain Vegetable. I love oh. it. So that's really that's, good, Mike. I'm very impressed. That's why I sent the five second one. <laughs> that makes the point, you know. But, uh, no, you got to play. I, I'm probably going to play it again before this segment's over. You realize that now. Uh, you can't leave radio. You can't leave uh, this casting because you uh, have something to look forward to now. I do. Uh, So, uh, all right, let's get to more serious stuff here. We we actually have a question that leads into what we were talking about before, which is some of some of the myths uh, of uh, and I don't want to accuse our our viewer of, of propagating a myth here. But there's a question here. Is it true that if you root a tomato sucker? it will produce more tomatoes than the original plant. And I had not heard this one before. Uh, had you? Have you guys heard this one before? No. I mean, uh, the, the, okay, there is, a, there is a controversy about removing suckers. Uh, <laughs> there are people, some people who say you, you should remove suckers because it will increase the vigor of the plant, and others who say, oh, really? No, you don't have to do that. Um, and I'm wondering where you guys stand on that. Well, for Never me, heard. it's how you, yeah, how you, well, for, oh, I agree with Keith. Uh, a, a rooted sucker of a plant is a clone of the plant that will behave exactly the same. And any variations in performance will just be because the weather is a little bit different or it's being treated a little bit different. But um, no, um, removing and rooting suckers is a great way, however, to uh, do succession planting. So if you really like mm-hmm. a variety and you think it's going to get diseased early, root a sucker of it bring, it, bring it along behind, then you can remove the parent plant, plant it, and it will extend your season. All right. If you're going to plant a sucker, though, where do you get the root system for the sucker? Oh, tomatoes are very avid rooters. If you put it in a glass of water or if you put it in damp soil in the shade, it will take about a week to root. Um, that's, why, that's one of the reasons you bury tomatoes deep when you plant them mm-hmm. is yeah. any area embedded under the soil will send roots and just um, make a nice strong plant. All right, Keith, you're going to illustrate let's, something here. Let's see. Well, it's, yep. It's hard to. That's a good root go system. What? There's roots. There's roots forming yep. those little bugs. All, all along, the yeah. Yep. And, and they'll, they'll do that on the suckers if you put them in water. Yep. And uh, So if you were... If you were going to, Keith, if you're going to take that tomato plant and plant it in your garden, how deeply would you plant that? Yeah, show us, uh, uh, show, show, show us with the plant there. Okay, Mike, did you get the, uh, the, the messages I just sent in your email about trench planting? Oh, uh, no. Uh, thank you for telling me that you did. I can check okay. those, track those down. But uh, meanwhile, mm-hmm. why don't you uh, t- show Let me us? show you on here. Okay. So. I'm going to pull out one of my plants here, and I'll start off. Um, these are all the regular leaves. These are the little cotyledons on the stem. Can you hold it up a little? There. Yeah, let me get this yeah, out of here. There we go. This is so weird going backward. Um, <laughs> I'm sorry about that. Yeah. These are the cotyledons. So it's all right. It's the way it is. So these are the cotyledons. So if you see these and they're nice and green on a plant that you're 
see at a nursery store, somebody's done a really good job with nutrition because when nutrition lacks, those will usually drop off. The yellow first mm-hmm. will drop off. Those it's are the first terrible... two leaves that come out, correct? Yeah, yeah. raise right. it up. Just there we go. Good. The reason to point that out is there's been a lot of research about whether you really should plant them deep or not. And there's kind of a controversy back and forth about this. So the easy way to put it, if you're a commercial grower and um, you're, you're going to put them in the ground, bury them up to the cotyledons, and that's all. Um, you don't huh. really get much more benefit as far as yield. There were studies done down in Georgia and I believe Mississippi or Alabama, um, possibly Florida, that when they buried them at different depths, putting them deeper into cooler soil helped them set fruit better during hot seasons. But up in the north, you'll actually see the opposite, and that's why I sent you that. Uh, uh, and I'm, I'm downloading it right now so uh, uh, we can pop pop that up. So trench planting is, is again, like, this, like the suckers, this, this thing's rooting on it, uh-huh. and it'll root all the way up and down. So you put this is really long. <laughs> That's uh, a leggy plan, Keith. <laughs> uh, it's, well, it's, I won't go into why it's there, but um, it, it, it's, it needs to go in the ground. So what you could do is you could cut off these and lay this down and bend it. It's mm. called trench planting. And then bury this in a trench. And remember where mm. the root ball is. The picture will show that. Um It'll root all along here. You got to remember that yeah. it's part of that <clears throat> under the soil, so it'll cultivate and uh, lop off the stem. But um, in the northern areas, what that can do is it can make more roots and it keeps it up near the top of the surface of the soil where it's warmer and the tomato will grow <laughs> a little bit better. But in the south, you want to you want to take it deeper <laughs> and get that into cooler soil. But uh, it's a little bit of difference there between the north and the south. Okay. As, uh, as far as the suckering, as far as the suckering question, Mike, because you're right, everybody asks about tomato suckering, and it's uh, it really depends. It's I, I'm I'm doing a test this year where I'm growing a Cherokee chocolate in a straw bale caged. And I'm going to maybe not even prune it at all. It's going to become a monster plant. Next to it is a Cherokee chocolate that I'm letting one sucker develop. So it's going to have the central stem and the sucker meaning that it will have two growing stems. And I'm going to do a comparison. Uh, it's the exact same variety in the exact same straw bale. And I want to look at first maturity date, and I want to look at fruit size, and I want to look at a general um, overall yield assessment. Now, common sense dictates when you have an infinite number of suckers all flowering, that's going to be much more heavy yielding. But a lot of people ask about it, and I just wanted to show the impacts of doing really severe pruning on indeterminate or tall tomatoes and the effect that that can have on um, the number of fruit that you get off that plant. Uh-huh. Keith, what is your, what is your suckering strategy, Keith? Um, there's two things I wanted to mention about that. And one was um, when I was in school and talking to the professor who taught us propagation, he, he mentioned that in general, that when you take a clone and you take a clone and you keep taking mm-hmm. clones of clones, eventually you get fading. I don't know mm-hmm. what he specifically meant, and I don't know how, if and how fast that could happen with a tomato. So if you just kept cloning right. generation, 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 there there may be changes 
some of it may be due to mutation, but but the whole the whole point of cloning is so there are not changes. So that's kind of interesting that uh, uh, it's possible. And again, you're saying you we don't really know that that nature might thwart that as well. But one tip I have about um, taking the suckers and rooting them, and it's not terribly important. You don't have to do it, but when you put them in water, if you have an aquarium bubbler a diffuser, mm-hmm. bubble that oxygen in that water. So what happens is is the roots develop, if it's just in water, the roots develop and the cells change in the plant in that area to develop to being in water. And when you take it out and now you put it in the soil, it shocks it and it takes a time for it to do, to adapt. And that's the, because environmental changes make differences in the plant and that can change over time with those clones but bubbling the air oxygen in there when you transplant it it's like oh oxygen rich environment i know what this is and Uh, it'll actually root slightly better if you do that a little bit faster that is interesting i had not heard that before that's that's really fascinating all right and i and i got to uh the uh what you sent me here and uh is this what we're talking about (laughs) yes and so they've uh, taken the plant and laid it on its side, bent the top up. Uh, the cutworm collar is a nice thing. You can use uh, aluminum foil, but a more friendly method is uh, newspaper because it'll just degrade. But for a short time after you put it in the ground, uh, cutworms will come in and just lop off the plant. Why, and, okay, um, okay. Uh, it's uh, not easy to paper. Let's explain that a little bit. All right, for those uh, listening on uh, the podcast, uh, we're showing a, a plant that has been laid sideways, the root system, and, and buried in the ground, and then you, you bend it slightly and bring it up. And you're saying you put a collar uh, around the, uh, the plant where it emerges from the soil. Um, when are cutworms uh, – see, I, I, I've never had a problem with cutworms when I've no. done – and I've done trench planting before. When are you likely to have a problem with that? Right after you plant. It's tender, it's young. When it gets older, they usually won't bother it. Um, they look like little grubs in the soil. Yeah. And uh, don't want to pick it apart too much, but um, they're, they can take out like 1% to 2% after I plant every year. Okay. And uh, uh, it's, it's the, the real point here is this helps warm all – you've got all that root mass – in the ground that will get warmed up sooner and it can help the tomato grow faster. But when you do this, it does slow it a little bit to make these roots along the bottom. Uh, and, and the point you're making here, if you look at this, uh, this drawing here is that uh, roots are going to emerge all along the stem. And that gets us to the point that you could plant or the idea that you can plant a tomato deeper, although I'm kind of fascinated by that idea that uh, growers might do it just below the cotyledons. I had not heard that before. This, I'm learning all kinds of things today. Yeah. Uh, let's take yeah, a look that's at the literature to, to go to the cotyledons. There's actually best recommendations from extension and whatnot. Wait, wait. Okay, if, say that again. If they're you got... there. If they're oh. there. Yeah, well, you can actually, well, if you look closely, you can usually see where they fell off. But that just go to that point. Um, that's extension has come up with that based upon the research. They're going, yeah, you really don't get that much if you go real deep. I mean, people are, this plant is probably 18 inches that I held up. 
and people mm-hmm. are planting holes that are you know right. almost 18 or two feet deep and it really doesn't matter that much most of the nutrients are, and the activity are, is up in that upper root zone area of the soil so you want to keep it up there hold, hold up that plant again and tell me about what you're what you're illustrating here so um, so would you uh lay that down would you trench plant that tomato or would you just uh pop it in the ground as is at this point i'll be happy to get it just in the ground <laughs> <laughs> but if, if it was home if it was home and i was fussing with it i would i would um lay it in the soil like that um i'd pull off all these leaves and i'd, I'd bend this top everything's delayed for me i'd bend this top up put a cut room collar where my fingers are <laughs> See, I, it never, ever, ever, ever occurred to me to put a cutworm collar on yeah. uh, my plant like that. Uh, but and but you're I also have... you're going to make a lot of people unhappy if you say that extension is talking about uh, putting it uh, not being able to bury tomatoes deep because that has been the conventional wisdom for so long that it's the one one of the very few plants you can put in the ground much deeper than uh, the root ball. Well, they've actually done studies. Now, the studies are really based upon commercial growers, and they aren't recommending that you go deep. It's just consent. Yeah. So there's actually been studies upon it. And by the way, uh, this is the other photo you sent. Uh, what are we looking at here? This is, again, trench planting. This is trench planting. And so it's he dug up one that he'd done. You can see the roots growing along the stem um, that was buried and, and how he's laying it down the soil. I would point out that these two pictures were, I believe both of them were from um, Dick Raymond's Gardening Year, which is the oh, idea, oh, yeah. I got the idea for the cutworm collar. I mean, the guy was a great gardener, and I know he pitched yeah. um, built tillers, and a lot of people uh, fault him for that because he's like till all the time. But uh, yeah. he had some really great practical gardening advice. It's a great book. You know, the other thing that you mentioned, Keith, about commercial. So I've been a home gardener for 40 years and I've planted my plants deep and they're 10 or 12 feet tall and giving me tons of tomatoes. Commercial interests, one or two days of extra ripening can off of, of earlier ripening can often be extra money because you're getting to the market sooner. Yeah. So there, there's advice sometimes that comes out of extension and it's good advice, but the key is some of these are geared more towards commercial for a home gardener. It's mm-hmm. probably not much of a concern because we've all seen once it gets hot, how fast tomato plants grow. And a lot of those considerations early on in the season, you're not really going to know a whole notice a whole lot of a difference by the time you get mid season into late season. And you're, you're dealing with the jungle that your tomato plant has become. Yeah, and that's and that's a really really good point. Is that a home gardener bears little resemblance to a commercial gardener, and and what they're trying to accomplish. All right, uh, before we get to our second break here, let's let's start a little bit about because we've got another question that has come in that and you alluded to it earlier, Craig, about Epsom salts. Uh, I don't want to I don't want to get to that. We will get to that. So hang on, Dolly, um, because we'll answer that question. But let's start with. The basics. We we just learned something about trench gardening and the idea that you can plant your your tomato deeper than uh, than than the root ball with impunity. You can plant it. You know, roots are going to uh, emerge along the stem. 
so that's a good thing for for casual gardeners because often they make mistakes in how deep. I mean, you look at peonies; you've got to be very careful about the depth of the tubers uh, on a peony to to get it bloom. But with tomatoes, ah, make it whole, throw it in there, <laughs> fill it up. Ah, I'm going to put it a little deeper. Why not? And folks <laughs> want to do that with everything. They want to do it with trees. And you go, no, no, don't do that with a tree, please. Uh, but with the tomato, you can. So um, uh, talk to us about how you start. Uh, Craig, I'm going to start with you. I mean, what's the whole, what do you like, what are your amendments? You don't You don't plant things in the ground. You plant them in, in containers. So that's a different animal as well. So what is your strategy? So I think that's a really good point. Tomatoes, well, all gardening is very flexible. And if we have in-ground and straw beds, uh, straw bales and raised beds and containers, you have four slightly different sets of things to worry about. So in the ground, and I'm sure Keith will talk about this, it's rich soil that drains well. Tomatoes really don't like to be sitting in wet feet. It's mulching early on to keep the soil from splashing up onto that foliage. And then from that point on, it's keeping the tomato as stress-free as possible, meaning don't overwater. But if you see it wilting, you're probably underwatering. Um, regular feeding um, with a food of your choice, and we could spend 80 shows talking about all of the options on things like that. I think the most important consideration is get to know what a plant looks like when it's growing well and it's healthy. Spend time with it. Look for the critters. Look for the beginnings of disease. If it's an indeterminate or tall type, you want to use a cage or a stake of some sort to keep it off the ground. If that's what you choose to do, some people are sprawling growers, but there will be things that you have to worry about, such as critters getting in and disease coming in. Um, if you're growing a dwarf or a determinant variety, stay shorter. You, you don't want to prune those because pruning suckers off those will significantly reduce the yield. Um, tomato cages are perfect for dwarfs or determinants and even indeterminates if you're talking about six foot tall cages or taller. But the biggest really adv advice I can really give people is be out in the garden, be out there daily, look at your plants, don't just plant them, go on vacation and expect to come back in a month and find a healthy tomato plant that's doing well. Um, Craig, what is your mix? What's the mix you put in your containers? So my containers is just a roughly three to one mix and gardening is fairly imprecise when you're talking about amounts for, for what you plant them in. So it's really rough of a soil, a good quality soilless mix and soilless mixes, they're various, there are tons of them you can buy. They come in the big bags and I like to amend it with um, some composted manure, like a, a composted cow manure, three to one. It drains well, but it also retains water and it has a little bit of a starter nutrient in it. And then once I plant them, I actually don't feed. I don't feed my plants from the time I plant the seed until they're in the ground for about two or three weeks. And a lot of that is because the plant has what it needs to, to do well early on. And then you're putting it in the potting mix with the manure and it has a little bit to get it through the two weeks. Or if you're in a straw bale, you've got all of that nutrient still in there from how you charge those bales up. Um, so that's what I use, about a three-to-one mix of a soilless mix, commercial bag soilless mix, to a composted manure. Okay. Uh, and uh, Keith, you you plant stuff in the ground, so what's the difference? Um, I start off and I plant in little seedling trays. I could go get them later because and, and, I, I want to know what everything is. Real, 
keep track of everything. And then I transplant those up, and I'm in a peat lye soilless mix. Um, I will add um, worm compost or uh, worm castings to mm -hmm. the soil. Um, I haven't found a really great source of compost here, so I kind of stay away from that because salt buildup has created problems in the well, past. Well, when you say you haven't found a really great compost uh, mix, you're talking about commercial compost, right? Right, because I need to do it on scale. I'm yeah, doing a and, lot, and, so. but because uh, in, in my own yard, I add a little compost in, but it's from my own compost uh, pile in the yard. You can do that. You can do that. That's fine. Um, <clears throat> I... My compost pile gets kind of neglected, so it doesn't. It's there, <laughs> so it probably doesn't get to get rid of diseases and things that I would really want it to. So that's why I'm like, I don't even want to fool with that. I want to get something okay. that I know is. Mm -hmm. um, but I, you know, somewhere around four weeks, six weeks is when I would like to get them in the ground. And um, yeah, on the farm, on the big scale, I just pop them in the holes. And um, I fertilize them at that time. And uh, at home, I'll fuss with them. I'll transplant them in the trench bed. Well, all right. When you, when you say, when you pop them in the hole, you fertilize them, do you put something in the bottom of the hole? What is it you put in there? Uh, what uh, Or do you mix it in with the soil, the backfill? How, how do you fertilize? Um, I, I do a soil test, and um, I determine the year before if, if I need to lime or anything like that. I usually don't. Um, but I, I see what the level is of what I need because generally, like, I have too much potassium in, in the soils that I have. Um, so I don't have to worry about things like that. So I'm like phosphorus and, and nitrogen. So I have to look for sources that are that and organic. Oh, also something I do feed them when they're in the seedling stage. I give them phosphorus in particular, which is kind of hard to do organically. But um, phosphorus early on, even before you see any flowers developing in the primordia, um, the plant will pick up that early phosphorus, and they've radio traced it, and um, it ends up in the fruit. So you have a better chance of making more flowers early if you have a good source of phosphorus right up. And it's, it's pretty interesting on that study. They had to study it in grad school. Um, Later on, that early phosphorus was still in second and third clusters, like it held on to it for flowers. So it's it's really important to get that in there. So I try to do that. That's hard to do with um, organic. It's easy to do with the blue stuff because you can go buy bloom fertilizer. Yeah. But uh, I, I feel that needs – and when I put them in the ground, um, I generally use – currently use Espoma. And I use plant tone, which has a higher nitrogen, because that's what I'm lacking. And I'll, I'll, I'll dig the hole, put it in the holes. I'll take a shovel and kind of stir it in. And then I'll put the plant in and cover it up. And later on, when the fruits get about, oh, golf ball size, and they're, and they're starting to expand, I'll come back and I'll just side dress and scratch it into the soil and, let and soak it in. And that's it. That's all I do. I, and I rarely add fertilizer of any other kind. Interesting, and uh, and uh, I should note that both of you uh, garden organically, correct? I tend towards organic as best as possible, but I am not strictly organic. Okay, 
All right, just uh, making sure of that. So uh, I, don't, I don't spray anything on my plants. No, nothing on the leaves, but I will use a the blue stuff. Um, I know that the Metro Mix 830 that I use a seed starter is not strictly confirmed organic, and I don't have. I mean, certified organic is a lot of work, and you well, have no, to no, really I'm, not, I'm not. I'm not. I'm not. You use. Oh, no, yeah. I'm just saying, people. People kind of don't understand what organic means. And that's why I like to say organic intent yeah. rather than strictly organic, because otherwise you get tied into a huge um, bureaucratic isn't the right word, but where you get your seed from, how you save it, how you treat it, what you plant it in. It's, it's a lot of work. Yeah. And, I, and uh, when I say organic, <laughs> I, I'm, I'm talking organic methods, not USDA yes. organic approved because, uh, yeah. and, yes. and cause a lot of us do organic methods, but we might, yeah. you know, break the rules every now and then. Uh, okay. Mm-hmm. Uh, we're going to take our break here. And this is why I, I set this up because we never have enough time. Peggy and I talked about it and we said, you know, we are, you know, at this point I'd be going, Oh, I want to ask you one more thing, but we're all out of time. <laughs> well, guess what? We're going to 1030, uh, uh, with these guys. Uh, that's uh, Craig LaHoulier from, uh, Oh wait, product oh, wow. placement. There we go. Epic tomatoes. Oh, and Peggy's got hers. Oh, and <laughs> what is, which one have you got there, Craig? That's the, uh, I get the growing, no, we vegetables, are growing vegetables and straw bales. bales. All right. Great. All right. <laughs> And you, you owe me a lot of money for that. Uh, and, uh, and, and speaking of, by the way, and I have to say this about the previous break and the break coming up, because um, um, I played that, that funny clip that, uh, that Keith sent me. Believe me, one of the great things about my show has been I have never had, not, I shouldn't say never, back in the day I might have, but uh, lately in the last number of years, probably the last decade, I don't put any advertisers on the show that I don't want here. And uh, I love that. And that's one of, you know, I feel just, it just frees me. I can remember, you know, working at Gargantua Radio, having to read stuff and go, oh, you're not going to make me read this, are you? Uh, and, uh, and after a while, I told them, I said, look, I'll put it on the show, but you got to record it. I'm not going to read it, okay? Because when you, we do a live read, that's a tacit endorsement uh, because the person's reading it. So that that was our compromise uh, at the, the 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 monster radio station is that they uh, they would record stuff to play in my show and I would not have to read it. Uh, but here, where I control everything, I don't put people on, I don't put businesses on that I don't want here, and I love my advertisers and and what they do because they're they're top of the line. So, uh, that, but but that was a funny clip which I I had to I just had to play because Keith said it to me. So all right. We're taking a break. I got some more questions. I got questions about compost, uh, you know, uh, as a fertilizer. We've got the Epsom salt question, the dreaded Epsom salt question. Uh, We're going to talk about staking, best uh, methods of staking. Some staking. All of that when we come back. It's the Mike Novak Show with Peggy Malecki. Oh, wait. Let's make sure I've got the the commercial break up here. Yep, there's break two. All right. We'll be right back. (laughs) You got it. You know, if I don't look, uh, I just hit buttons and just things happen. Okay, let's say you have a problem. It's Monday morning and your car won't start. What's the first step? Find out what's causing the problem. Or, better yet, find someone who can. It's impossible to remedy an issue without first determining the cause. And when there's a problem with your tree or shrub, that's where Bartlett Tree Experts comes in. We call it Plant Analysis and Diagnostics. 
We'll start by accurately identifying your tree. This is important because a tree species will indicate its typical traits and tolerances, as well as any susceptibility to insects, disease, and other stress problems. Next, we'll look at the tree from the ground up. We'll check the condition of the soil, examine the root collar for decay or other issues, look at the color and health of the foliage, and inspect for damaging insects or disease. There's a lot to consider when making a correct diagnosis, and your local Bartlett Arborist has some unique support, a team of top scientists at the Bartlett Tree Research Laboratories. We can collect soil or plant samples from your tree and shrub and send it to our lab for analysis. Our lab analyzes over 20,000 of these samples each year, so you can count on an accurate diagnosis. Our lab also functions as an education center for our arborists to receive ongoing training. So after diagnosing your tree problem, we can also provide the most advanced arboricultural techniques and treatments to help solve it. Successful plant healthcare is all about timing and early detection. If something is concerning you about your trees or shrubs, don't hesitate to let us know. We're happy to help identify the trouble with our expert plant diagnostic services. Welcome to the Mike Novak Show with Peggy Malecki. Green, gardening, and environment radio with just a sip-saw of humor. Or is that a dash? Brought to you by Bartlett Tree Experts. Every tree needs a champion. Go to Bartlett.com. Here they are again, Peggy Malecki and Mike Novak. All I need is good food to eat and make me healthy, wealthy, wide awake. Lettuce, tomatoes, root, and bacon. What about those sweet potatoes? All I need is good food to eat. All I need is good food to eat. All I need is good tools to make me music, porches, lawn serene. And welcome back to the Mike Novak Show with Peggy Malecki. And speaking of great sponsors, Bartlett Tree Experts is the best. They have just made so much possible on this show. And believe me, and I tell folks all the time, if you've got tree care work you need done, please go to a certified arborist uh, and have your tree diagnosed uh, and have the work done by them. And I especially recommend Bartlett. Um, and there are four locations in the Chicago area. And, of course, they're not only nationwide, they're, they're an, an international. international. For, in yeah. the U.K. And um, just the best people uh, you can imagine. And I, I couldn't be prouder that they have been such a great sponsor on the show. We're going to continue our relationship. And for those of you who missed the announcement at the beginning of the show, yeah, I'm taking a break. Um, and uh, I don't know how long it's going to go. But uh, next week will be the final show until that happens, uh, or before that happens. And, um, and then we'll see. I- I'm still going to be around, believe me. Uh, I'm just not going to do this regimented weekly thing for two hours, at least for the time being. Who knows? Maybe I'll be back uh, after Labor Day. I have no idea. Um, but, or maybe uh, we'll be having pop-up tomato talks. Yeah, maybe we'll just do that. And speaking of that, we're this is Tomato Mania Five. Uh, Woo! Uh, oh, wait, let's see if we got another one. Uh, wow, that was just really sad. Uh, and and it's time to play one more. That uh, oh, and speaking of leaving the show. Uh, this is an appropriate one that uh, Keith sent me. Uh, you, I think uh, you will understand why he sent this to me. You can't go. All the plants are going to die. Okay. I don't... 
You can't go, all the plants are going to die. Oh, yep, dude. they are. You can't go, all the plants are going to die. <laughs> you, you know, Keith, uh, you and I got to talk. We got to talk uh, about this. About doing a, doing a show because you've uh, all right. There's one more. He said. We're creating a whole new level of. Uh... And yet, in a certain <laughs> sense. Oh, okay. Wait, wait. wait. I got to stop that. All right. I'm gonna start it again because uh, the lag here. I hate broccoli, and yet, in a certain sense, I am broccoli. <laughs> so. Uh, see, I got. Oh my. Uh, this is uh, Keith, and I have a very similar sense of humor here. Uh, all I've got to say. All right. Um, I I, yeah, I remember way way back when, Casey, when you first started like contacting us on Facebook, we'd be like, "Who's this Casey guy?" I know. <laughs> yeah. Oh. And it, but then you know. Just started because you were saying similar sense of humor and all of that. Because oh yeah, he would send he would send us to send us jokes and pictures and goofy memes, um, <laughs> and uh, yeah. and that's how we got to know uh, uh, Casey Tomato. Um, all right, let's play one more thing here. That uh, before we go back to the basic talk, because uh, I want to make sure we get this in as well. And this is from Craig. Uh, you, we get to see a um a tour of your garden as soon as i can there it is uh and uh i think folks uh, it, it's one minute so it, it's really really quick so you can get an idea of of what craig is up to and you and those of you who live in chicago in the midwest you're going to hate him because uh this is, <laughs> <laughs> because he's already got as i said he's already got squash he's gonna he's got but, beans but they're he's all in north carolina so yeah it's right just remember it's north carolina and he says oh it's cooler in the mountains yeah blah 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 it's cooler <laughs> in the mountains it's north carolina folks so you can grow anything anytime all you got to do is stick your finger out and everything just blossoms and blooms and that's that's on the your way finger it, uh no just you just point in where you want something to grow and it and it happens so let's take a look at the craig's backyard Craig here from Hendersonville, North Carolina. Just a really quick tour of what the garden looks like on June 1st. We have straw bales happening with some containers, um, cucumbers and green beans and summer squash. And here we have the tomatoes, some really interesting ones. This is a uh, an F2 generation of using variegated foliage plants. There's another one here. We have dwarf tomatoes growing in grow bags in front of those. And over here are peppers and eggplant. There's a dwarf tomato there, but here's one of my favorite eggplants, um, Midnight Lightning. That's one of my little breeding projects. But just to get a little bit of an overview from the back here. And that's a tour of my garden. Well, let me just say, first of all, I don't have all that sun because I don't have all that room. And I don't have room for, for <laughs> straw bales either. I mean, my tiny little city lot. I put I put two straw bales in and that's pretty much the garden. Um uh, not quite that bad, but uh, pretty close. But it's it's remarkable. I mean, well, that's well. You took you took your vegetables in amongst your perennials as well, though, Mike. Well, yeah, I do. I, it's because it's all crammed in this little area. Mm -hmm. 
So this tiny, tiny little area. But it's nice to have that kind of space. Um, uh, I see. I could criticize you for the lawn because I think I saw a lot of creeping Charlie in there. So, uh, oh, it, it ah. is. My goal is to have no grass, all weeds, because when you mow it, it stays green. I am not a lawn dude at all. <laughs> it's, like, <laughs> it's if it grows, it's fine. Yeah, we've. Um, that's our septic field back there. So for me to have a garden in Hendersonville. I have to grow on top. So straw bales and containers are the perfect way to get a really nice vegetable garden, not have to dig, not have to ever worry about rotation. And then I get to use that wheat straw next year and fill it in pots and grow potatoes and use it for mulch. So um, it is kind of a, a sustainable way to garden that I didn't really think about that when I first undertook it. Ah, well, it, it is. Uh, the idea that you can reuse the straw, I mean, it's, it's just perfect compost. Uh, and, yes. and you're co- constantly replenishing the soil, yeah. which is uh, just a, a great way to do it. Now, uh, also before we get back to, because I want to have some time for this, I want to show Keith's project. We need a name for 17H03-12. <laughs> Uh, and here's, here. uh, you ready? It's, you want to call it 17? What, what, what is it? 17 H zero three dash one, two. All right. You, you and, have a picture of three and you can compare them. Well, there we go. This is, uh, okay. 17 H O three dash 12. And that is compared to wait, holds it. Where's my cursor here? Come on. It's compared to 17H03-13. Uh, now, there's more yellow or orange in, in the 1-3. I would say more, more gold or yellow in there. And let's go back to the 1-2. But, you know, these are interesting because one of the things I've noticed about your uh, tomatoes, Keith, is that a number of them are heart-shaped. Uh, we, mm-hmm. I've grown some of your tomatoes and yeah. they tend to, to, why is that? Why, why do you have the heart shaped tomatoes? It's part of the parentage in the background. Um, and it, it, there's a gene segregating for elongation and the bumpy shoulders you kind of see there on the yellow part on the one on the left. Yeah. Um, it's fasciation. So there's more locules, more of those little cartwheel things inside of it. Uh, it was to go from a smaller one to bigger one. So when I select for that, I can, in later generations, hopefully get larger fruit. Part of that comes with that uh, heart shape. But there is, I I don't know about this one in particular, but there is um, both Pink Tiger and Anna Russian in the background. Mm, mm. Ah. Uh, well, Anna um, Russian is one of the very first heirlooms that I grew way back in 1988, actually. Um, and, and so, go ahead. This this has Craig all over. This has Craig all over, and part of it because it's um, it's got Lucky Cross. It's got the Brandywine Cherokee Purple in the background. It's really complex. Wow. But, um, wow. Uh, you know, it, it's it's from that meeting of Craig years ago of going, wow. hey, that tastes really. I got to do something with that. Wow. Um, but that's what started yeah. me off. I'd point out that number 12 and number 13, number 12, when you cut it open, it's just as orange inside as number 13, but the outside is red. Ah. When I see that, when I see that subjectively, the 12 tastes better. And huh. I, I've been reading more about 
what um, Dr. Klee and his group and some of the people associated doing similar science. And I think that has to do with the expression of the red, the lycopene, does something to make one of those, uh, I think he called them steroid, uh, the, uh, the flavonoids that he's <clears> studying, <throat> specifically geranol, because if you trace this back, um, one of the lines had uh, maglia rosa in it, and that's uh -huh. kind of what Dr. Klee was early on fingering of like, oh, that's what people are saying tastes good. So we talked before about bricks levels, and I said, well, sometimes something bricks real high, but it doesn't taste as good as one that's lower bricks. Explain what explain that. explain what yeah, bricks what, is. What is bricks? Bricks is a measure of sugars, but it's actually a measure of soluble solids. So it's a little misleading because it's not just sugar. And so when you get level, you look through a meter. And you put a drop of juice on it, and it'll say, you know, this much light's passing through it, and it'll be like most tomatoes are like five, six, but some of the ones like Sun Gold can be up there 12. It's a little bit wow. environment change year to year, but you can have something that bricks really high, but it doesn't taste as sweet as one that bricks low, low. And Dr. Clee's group is focusing in on that, that particularly that I think it's, I think I'm saying it right, geranol gives you the perception when it's there that something is actually sweeter than it is. And, and you're so tricking our Yeah. So I think that I'm in on that kind of thing. Uh, and you're referring to Dr. Harry Clee from the University of Florida. We, uh, I grow yeah. his tomatoes every year. I just Garden I gems, think they're Garden wonderful. Treasures, Garden rubies. Yeah. Um, and we've all – all right. Here's – I looked at these. And, and by the way, folks, we need names for these these two tomatoes um diana has suggested plumato no plumato it's plumato not plumato come on peggy are you tomato British? tomato uh, plumato i like that um i was thinking it is, it's not necessarily a compliment but um uh since i think they look like hearts um i'm thinking yellow heart <laughs> but that's not a compliment to, what probably taken already yeah and I wouldn't call one of them Prairie Fire, but I found out that's taken just recently yep, that, as well. That, that's that's taken, yeah. Wow. So uh, try your names out on us, folks. Take a look at these tomatoes uh, I, uh, and see if uh, you've got some ideas. There's there's stripes. There's, there's yellow color. There's uh, kind of coral color. It's not a dark red, uh, even even in this one. Um, and uh, But uh, they taste good. So uh, it's like a sunset. I, th I think sunset passion, uh, sunset something. I mean, that I'm trying to think naming tomatoes is tricky and we've had to do it 145 times in our project. And some of them I like, and some of them I don't like. Uh, the other thing that's happening with tomato names, interestingly, is an increased look at the sensitivity are some of those names actually offensive. So mm. I was actually contacted in our dwarf project. We have a dwarf named Dwarf Golden Gypsy. And we're reevaluating the, the the gypsy pepper is being renamed, and we're going to probably rename dwarf golden gypsy. Well, uh, uh, so what about this? Uh, is good news. This is good news. It is. Uh, you named Cherokee purple. Is that offensive at this point? It's. It is not offensive so much. It is indicative of the fact that those of us who receive unknown varieties are often so excited, and so at the beginnings of our passions, we don't think 
Uh, it, so if I were to have it to do all over again and got that seed, I would probably get in my car and drive out to Sevierville, Tennessee, and have a chat with Mr. Green. And then he would tell me that he got the seed from Gene Greenlee, who lived in Rutledge. And then I would probably get in my car and drive to Rutledge and sit with Jean, hope that her grandfather was alive, and then take it back to the source and try to find out where he received it from to get as much knowledge as we can, because it's like genealogy. We never ask mm -hmm. the right questions while people are around to answer them. And once we want to know about it, those people are now gone. So um, I wished I would have done more work on that. It became a really popular tomato, and we only know a fraction, I think, of the story of that tomato. And, and last year we've discovered, uh, I told you both, and it was a remarkable experience because it happened right on live streaming. Uh, I said, yeah, we were growing Cherokee purple. Look at this. And I cut it open, and, and you guys said, no, that's a black crim. Uh, I'm like, what? And that came from, we still have that seed packet. Uh, mm -hmm. and, and it came from Johnny's. Yeah. And, and that I, was the, uh, the discussion of the wagon wheel arrangement of the seeds. Yeah. yeah. It's, it's so many people have been involved in heirlooms now that it's just become impossible to, to have 100% confidence that you get what you think you're getting. And it's just, you know, sloppy seed saving mm -hmm. along the way, mislabeling, confusion. But it's happening mm -hmm. with a lot of heirlooms right now. All right. Let's get, yeah. let's... And, and before somebody asks, how do you tell the difference between the brandy wine and the Cherokee purple? Uh, you, black crim. Or black crim, I mean. And the Cherokee purple. Um, black crim tends to concentric crack and just has a very different internal seed structure. Cherokee, Cherokee purple, if it cracks, tends to radially crack. That's the main thing. Radial crack is when it starts at the stem end and goes outward. Concentric yeah, is when it tends around. to be parallel. Yeah. yeah. All right. Um, uh, let's get to Epsom salts here. And it's not, and, and, and one of the things that I, 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 do, I do a talk where I took it. Oh, your, your pet peeve? One of my pet peeves is, is Epsom. People spell it E-P-S-O-N. And I say, they, they talk about Epsom salts. And I say, what's Epsom? And they go, oh, it's, it's a salt. And I say, no, it's a company that makes printers, okay? And uh, if you can't even spell the darn word right, why am I going to trust you to put it on my plants? Um, but Epsom, some people look at Epsom salts as a cure-all for all kinds of plants. They're roses, they're tomatoes, they're whatever, and then they soak their feet in it. Uh, but um, <laughs> what what is your advice? Dr. Linda Chalker-Scott from uh, 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 Oregon State University would say, you never put magnesium, which and that's magnesium... Um, sulfate. Sulfate. You never use magnesium unless the, your, your soil test calls for it. You never put in uh, any kind of uh, 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 element uh, unless or... or, or chemical until you see that it's deficient and so she would say just putting in epsom salts is uh ridiculous unless you your test indicates you need it what are you but but that's one person that's that's her thing yeah. and she's she's very strict about that uh what do you guys think <laughs> i have you ever if you've ever been to the garden professor's uh, uh blog or or their facebook page I, I i have to admit i stay away from it now it's it scares me they they're scary people um uh, but what do you feel about epsom salts keith i'd love to know your view on this because we've never really talked about it do you have an opinion on it um if you don't need it, don't use it. And um, in particular, it's a, nah, I forgot the chemistry, but uh, it'll tie up other things. 
if you if you have an excess of one thing, it can take bonding sites from the others. Um, right. And it, you know, it's a it is a salt that can build up in the soil. It 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 you can loop it out if it's in the soil, but in the <laughs> container or something, it can build up and cause problems. And um, yeah, I don't see any purported use for it. I see people treat it as though it was nitrogen. And yeah. I was I was trying to look real quick, but I couldn't do it. Um, you know what is what I don't remember the specifics of what magnesium's used for. I think it's partly cells, walls, yeah. or something. Um, I don't think I got that right. But um, you know, it it's not going to do the effect like nitrogen will. No. And uh, but you hear it reported doing all of these things, and uh, mm. you know, just I just. <laughs> So so here's what I'm doing, and we'll have an answer. I've I've got two mortgage lifters very closely grown to each other. I'm treating them all the same, except one mortgage lifter is going to get, I've dissolved Epsom salts in water, tablespoon per gallon, and the plant will get a cup of Epsom salt solution each week in addition to its feeding. So we'll look at foliage color, plant growth, fruit production, uh, we will get an answer to this question because I'm doing the control study. Okay. Wow. Well, and then that's when we'll do a Let pop-up show. We'll do a pop-up show and say, ah, here's the result from uh, Craig LaHoulier. Um, and the other thing is is feeding. Um, I'm what could best be described as a casual feeder. Um, and uh, that is to say uh, at a couple of points during the, the growth season, I will throw in compost. Um, uh, and, and the, the, the compost people will tell you, all you got to do is dress side dress with compost and you're probably not going to have any problems. And uh, to be honest, I haven't had problems. Uh, have I had, could I have had more tomato production? Probably. I don't know, but my tomato production is usually decent. I don't know what to say. I, I don't have anything to compare it to. Uh, but I, I, uh, but in containers, I understand you got to keep the fertilizer good because there's only so many resources in a container. But in the ground, I I side dress with compost. I I, I top dress uh, the the container with compost. Is that enough to feed a tomato plant? I, I think Keith, you're in the ground, so you 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 said at the beginning what you do. Do you repeat your um, tomato tone or whatever throughout the season, or do you just kind of do that initial feed and then go with it? Um, I do it like when the fruit are starting to size up, but in a container, I would do more than compost. Plus, you had it oh, all yeah. in compost, yeah, because everything's leaky. But yeah. in the ground, I've seen people do fantastic with just compost. In fact, sometimes yes. it looks better than, than chemically fed stuff. It has to do with how they're taking care of that soil conditions yes. that year. But I mean. To me, just even being lazy, if you have a compost source, that's probably the way to go. Um, yeah. And in the, and in the yeah. straw bales and containers, each plant is getting about one cup of the blue stuff solution a week because I'm watering pretty much every day. And with all that watering, I'm leaching yeah. the nutrients at the bottom. But again, I look at the results. And last year, my yields were outrageous. So if it's working, I'm not going to change anything. But you you put a hundred gardeners in a room and you're going to get a hundred different feeding regimens and it's just one of those things. I guess we have to leave it at that. But uh, I, I what I would say is uh, uh, if you've got container if you're growing your tomatoes in containers and I, I yeah fertilize them make sure you've got yep. the nutrients 
in there and you're, you're going to have you regulate uh, your watering. Uh, although, although I have had situations where the fertile, the tomato roots have gone into the ground through the pot, which is always oh, yes. kind of fun uh, because then you're, then you're getting supplemental nutrition yes. uh, for, for that tomato plant. Uh, Craig LaHoulier, uh, Keith Mueller, Mr. Casey Tomato, uh, thank you guys so much for Tomato Mania 5. Yay. One more product, product placement. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Yeah, product placement. Here we go. Uh, you got to get yourself a book out, Keith, so that we – oh, there's a product placement, tomatoes. You plant. I got my – My intention is to get seeds out. What? My intention, mm-hmm. is, my intention is to get seeds out. Ah, Okay. Good. And, and and as I mentioned in the preview we did, we shot for this the other day, the Netflix special, the uh, uh, Casey Tomato Diaries, is coming out in <laughs> in September. <laughs> so we'll Mike, all you, be looking. You know, of course. Well, I'd, I'd love minutes. to try your, your 12 and 13 seeds that we looked up here. So. Yeah. Uh, what we, 90 it's minutes like isn't enough. What, it's like Keith? Ozark's. It's like Ozarks, but really it's tomatoes instead of opium poppies. Ah, okay. Yes. <laughs> but we found that even 90 minutes isn't enough to do tomato justice. No, it's not. I mean, we're, we're already we over. Yeah, we have. Uh, but thank you guys so much. Uh, actually, a, a friend of mine who I know loves to grow tomatoes uh, said it was a great show. He, he's already typed in and uh, – and uh, so we actually must have gotten some real information out, which always surprises yeah. me. <laughs> and we've got uh, Diana also suggested 12 is sparkler and 13 is confetti. Oh, I like those. Yeah. Thank she, you. She's working on it. Well, our dwarf project has a confetti. Uh oh. Oh, and. We could have another name with it. All right. All right. You guys uh, have a wonderful summer. You know what? I'm going to be checking in with you. So uh, you, you haven't heard the last of me. You can't get rid of me. Um, and uh, we'll we'll do this again at some point. Thank you, Mike. Thank you, Peggy. Great to see you, Keith. Great to see you, Craig. Bye, Peggy. Thanks, All right. guys. Uh, guess what? Guess who else is here today? Oh, my goodness. Meteorologist Rick DeMaio. Oh. All right. Fasten your seatbelts, folks. He's, <laughs> he's next. I was pretty well considered an outlier in nuts. And today, the nursery with the kids and everybody involved is still considered groundbreaking in the sense that we do it just different. Over in a possibility place in 1978, by 1982, we were strictly into natives and have been ever since. Possibility place nursery grows more trees, shrubs, and perennials than I can count. Several hundred species from large shade trees to very small perennial plants. There is a native plant for every place in your yard, from trees to shrubs to flowers and grasses. They flower just as pretty. They flower on time. They bring in butterflies. They make a yard more dynamic. And every time you do a planting is an opportunity to add a native or to integrate a native into your landscape and make it richer. 
from spring seed and soil treatments to summer foliar feeding to fall stubble digesters, Blazing Star provides microbial tools from Tinyo Biologicals for natural and organic farmers. They have solutions for home gardeners, too. And Blazing Star also offers agroecological education and consulting, especially for permaculture work in Zones 4 and 5. Learn more about these great folks and great techniques at blazing-star.com. Well, looky who's here. If it isn't our our old buddy, uh, Ricky DeMaio. Uh, Yep, and there's there's Jax. Yay, Jax. As long as as I don't have a treat, but we just took a nice long walk, uh, and it's actually pretty pleasant. It's still another day of a lake breeze along the shoreline of Lake Michigan, but the wind should actually turn a little bit more around to the south and southwest. Warm us up a little bit, but yesterday, another disappointing day with temperatures, you know, 15 degrees cooler than they should be, cloudy. We had a couple of sprinkles. We've had so many just miserable Saturdays this spring. Well, it's, you see, you say... you had a couple of good ones and a couple of really bad ones. I see. You, you consider it miserable. I, I looked at it and I thought, you know, it's 60s, low 60s. I don't have a problem with that. I'm... Uh, it's, it you wear, it's a jacket, you, you take a walk. It's, it's, it's a nice day. I think, I mean, maybe not for Ju- June, but Mike is ill. If he <laughs> thinks yesterday was okay for June 4th, he's ill. I'm yeah. sorry. Well, the, the nice thing is there's, there's been no need for air conditioning yet. Despite the fact that I've heard a lot of people that, with air conditioning on. That has been not, nice. But yeah. you know what? It, it, it's these kind of days that we had yesterday that you yearn for. Um, in early September, when you know they're gone for the next nine months. So to right. me, when the when the average high is seventy eight, you just want seventy eight degrees. I know we're not going to get <laughs> yeah. you know low humidity and light winds, uh, and a lot of days we don't get to have to use the air conditioner. But on a Saturday, come on, the I, beaches were empty yesterday. You know, yeah, you know like, what? There's there's something redeeming in the weather in every day. Uh, Rick, we just got a comment from one of our viewers. Yesterday was perfect. I was able to work ten hours in the yard. You're not going to drop over from the heat uh, on a day like yesterday. Yeah, well, yeah. That, that's what happens when you pay them ten dollars, Mike. They say that. <laughs> oh dear. Yeah, that's even if, it's raining, even if it's raining. There's something redeeming out there. True. Yeah, uh, but I I like it a little bit warm. Yeah. But anyway, um, nice to be back. Uh, everybody knows that I was gone for what, weeks. Um, it was Mother's Day. I started taking care of my parents. Um, and uh, then last week was a moral day. We just had a lot of my plate. But uh, the places where I was in Florida, I had never been before. Uh, the Key West area, I just fell in love. And Rebecca and I did a four-hour eco tour on a kayak um, through mm-hmm. the mangroves. So we actually went up into Sugarloaf Key, uh, which is about 17 miles east. It's the mile mark for 17. Key West is zero. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah. And did an amazing tour through the mangroves. And the woman who took us there was talking a lot about the environment, a lot about climate, a lot about sea level rise, a lot about the inundation of salt water into the Everglades. Um, and it was probably one of the most informative tours that I've ever been on. Um, and I told her, I said, you really need to do this, um, you know, publicly and on some sort of like cable network because you're really good. 
Um, and it was, it was really cool to be able to see that part of the keys um, that we know in another 50 to 60 years uh, most likely will not be looking the same way. It's not like the keys are going to completely be underwater. We don't think it's going to happen like that. Uh, but it's nice that they're actually having those kind of uh, tours where people are just not out there farting around on a boat, seeing the sun set and going, this is the best ever. But getting people into the environment and, and understanding the fragility of it, um, I think, is what will probably bring uh, the right type of people down to the Keys. And, and I think that's what's important about something like that. Yeah, you know, uh, last week, Peggy and I talked about this article uh, that, that we posted, uh, I posted on, on, on the blog about what's going on in Florida environmentally. And it's, and it's terrifying, actually. It's just terrifying where they apparently want to build toll roads all over the state. That's a big uh, issue. Um, and the environmentalists are fighting tooth and nail to hold on to lands that are already there. Um, to you know, set up more corridors, wildlife corridors. Yeah. Uh, they're and- gone just keep keep the the wildlife corridors i mean the panthers are going to disappear and and other uh, i mean you, you think in in illinois there are no panthers in illinois but you still have them in florida well the 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 thing that's different about florida is it's isolated so once you begin to really eliminate the ability for you know uh the environment to reestablish itself it can't it's done and it's over with other parts of the country you can kind of, you know, reintroduce things. You can kind of give animals away north, south, east, or west. But the Everglades and the Florida Keys, especially the mangroves, uh, the red, the black, the white, there's three different types of mangroves. They're so important to um, the ability to um, the coastline intact, you know, because the way the roots kind of go down into uh, the soil. Uh, but we were actually there with a couple from Alaska, and the family all the way from um, Anchorage, Alaska, down to Key West, um, that was that was pretty cool. So I, I try not to talk as much about the environment. I always like to allow people to talk and not feel like they need to say things around me. Uh, but it's, it's, it's scary that what you're referring to about the buildup uh, in parts of the state and the toll roads uh, in certain areas – I'm, I'm okay with progress as long as it's done the right way and as long as people um, understand the, um, that this climate, or I should say, this environment that we're in right now is going to be markedly different um, in 70, 75 years. You know, yesterday, um, great article published. I wasn't able to get send it to you, New York Times, but um, we actually passed the 420 mark. Uh, parts per million of carbon dioxide at the Manalo Observatory. Yeah. Um, in my class Wednesday at Loyola, you know, we look it up every time I'm in class, Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday, and it was at 419, but it was already on its way down because of the way the trees are blossoming this time of year. So the fact that 420 was hit is noteworthy because 420 is 50% higher than 280, and 280 is the benchmark of where we were um, 1880. So the fact that we're now at 50% higher, um, and it doesn't seem like anything that we've been really doing collectively as a, as a, a country, I shouldn't say that as a country, because the missions in the U.S. have actually gone down, uh, but collectively as a, con- as a group of countries worldwide, um, has not done much to bring CO2 levels down. Um, and it's, it's one of the easiest things to talk about 
when you can see those trends going up and up and up. Um, and it, you just, you just hope, hope that we're in some sort of like got rid of the Trump era deregulations and we're finally getting normal. Uh, that's what I hope for because the last four years have been very difficult to teach this stuff and to hope for, you know, future progress. Well, that's, that's this yeah. is not like that. Yeah, we we actually mentioned that last week. Uh, the number had gone to 421. Uh, we talked about it on the show. But the other thing that's going on now, I read a story, I think just yesterday. Uh, the new concern is that uh, our wonderful Supreme Court, uh, a totally, totally legitimate Supreme Court, uh, is going to start slashing away at the uh, EPA. Uh, and saying, well, you don't really have the power to do this or that. You can't regulate uh, climate change uh, in this country. And it, if that happens, we're we're totally screwed uh, because uh, there's there's very little that uh, that we would be able to accomplish if we we, can, we don't even have that body, which is get gets complaints all the time that it's not doing enough. Have have that completely undermined. Yeah, I mean, why even have a federal government if you let the states? you know, do everything on their own. I mean, that's yeah. basically the, the, the way that we're going, you know, with gun rights and with abortion. And, you know, we have different, you know, rules and regulations regarding, you know, speed limits. I get that because of population. And, you know, that makes sense. I, I don't understand this whole thing about regulating, you know, the inside of a woman's body, but you can't regulate, um, you know, uh, things like streams and rivers and ponds. Uh, and ocean shorelines and the air that we breathe. I don't, I don't get that one bit. So um, some of my reviews that came in from Loyola said, man, this guy really knows his stuff, but the class was too political. He changed too seriously. <laughs> oh my God. I, I, and, I, and, I, and I showed that to my, to my department chair and my Dean. She's like, she's like, I want more comments like that. <laughs> great. Great. Good. Oh, yeah. yeah. Oh, yeah. Well, they know that this that this generation growing up, um, a has been kind of pounded away by the pandemic. So everything with them has been regulated with their faces. They can go and and you got to understand when you're a college student for two years and everything is regulated through an e and a sign. You just get tired of regulations. I get it. So you got to be careful and mindful of the world that they've grown up in. Um, and it makes it much more difficult as a, as a teacher, uh, to kind of teach what you want, but at the same time, realize that as my mother says, not everything worked for every kid in the family. You know, it depended on, on who they were, what they were, where they were coming through. And, you know, you're a different parent with kid one and a different parent with kid five. So it yeah. makes it challenging, but that's okay. If it wasn't challenging, it'd be boring. I don't like being bored. And it was a great article. I just scanned it on New York Times climate website this morning, how the, the rural central valleys of California are really becoming more of the problem child, not so much the big population centers of L.A. or San Diego or San Francisco, because now there's a fight over the water being diverted from what's left over from the reservoirs and whether or not it's going to be able to get into the uh, the Central Valley agricultural or um, irrigation system. So this goes all the way back to like the, the water wars of L.A. back in the 1930s. And it seems that the mindset, unfortunately, is also going backwards. 
So while the problem is the same thing over and over again, the mindset hasn't really gotten to the point where we can solve this from a federal level. So um, the federal government's got a lot on their hands because if you keep letting the states do it, then you're going to get into huge problems with Arizona and Colorado and New Mexico and Utah and California over who gets what from the Colorado River Basin. But the bottom line is that map that you showed um, shows not as hot because really you haven't seen an increase in, in high temperatures. Uh, we haven't really seen an increase in long-term heat waves in the Midwest over the last 40 years. We really haven't had long periods of really, really hot weather. We'll spike every once in a while. Mm -hmm. And that's weather. You got to be careful about the weather and the, and the climate trend part here. But the bottom line is um, it's gotten warmer and more humid. And I, I know I, I talk to my parents all the time when my mom says, I don't want to be using my air conditioner in Florida in February. <laughs> That's the time of year where they want to shut it off. So when you get into these really warm, humid patterns in these large cities in the southeast, to me, the first thing I see is electricity demand, Cold is being used um, or natural gas, and that means fossil fuel increase is going up. So the more and more you, you look at those kind of things, you just see CO2 levels going up and up and up, and, and it ain't coming down anytime soon. So uh, let's take a, a, a – we'll go through some of this uh, really quickly here, uh, starting with – the storm that uh, just hit Florida and dumped copious amounts of rain, just amazing oh, yeah. amounts of rain. And then into yeah, Cuba. I mean, yeah. Yeah. Parts of Cuba, the Florida Keys, Southern Florida. Um, and again, I think what I talked about this last week um, in class, um, you're not going to see flooded in the floods. You know, it rains there, it goes into the limestone and it settles down into the ocean. Um, it's your big populated areas uh, that are going to get inundated by rain. And Southern Florida, Homestead, Florida City, Miami yesterday, catastrophic street flooding. I mean, there was, I, I haven't looked yet, but there were literally over 500 cars that were, um, had to be towed out of literally two to three feet of water. They had 12 to 14 inches of rain. And this was during um, a new moon. When I was down in Key West, guys, uh, I was down there for the full moon. And the streets were flooded. I, it was like unbelievable how much we're, we're From driving. The tides. Right, right. I think they call them the king tides, where they're they're the, the certain tides when you get a full moon, and then you also get a high tide. And because those areas um, already have seen about an inch rise every eight years in in uh, sea level, um, we were driving. This is, it, it's great when you teach this stuff, and then you see it. Sunny day, and we're driving through areas of the Keys. There were probably four or five intersections where the water was over halfway up the wheel. And oh I asked my. the driver, he goes, oh, yeah, we get this now all the time when there's a high tide and a full moon. And I'm like, really? What are you guys doing about it? Eh, we just go around it. That, that's all they do. Wow. That's all they do. So the fact that we had 12 to 13 inches of rain and there was no high tide, there was no full moon, um, parts of Southern Florida kind of got off the hook on this. And this storm actually never became a named storm. I know. Right <laughs> it didn't even yeah. get uh, uh, that that kind of uh, uh, credit or cachet. It's not even yeah. a name. Come on, man. It, it, it kept, it was like potential tropical cyclone one. <laughs> <laughs> I know. 
How it's insulting. Like, so the 2022 outlook, um, as you can see, has us at a 65% chance of above normal. Uh, we typically get about 12 to 15 storms that are named, which could be a tropical or a hurricane. Um, hurricanes themselves, we average about six to eight, six to nine, and then major hurricanes about three to four. So what they're doing here is they're showing you that we could have about three to four extra storms. Um, and there's, there's the average. So 12, six and three, 14, seven and three. Um, so when we went from the new climate norms from 1980 to 2010 and 1990 to 2020, you got to rewrite a lot of these averages. And when you're rewriting averages every 10 years, that's not a good trend. And the reason why you can get storms develop in the Gulf of Mexico this time of year is because the Gulf is kind of self-contained. If you just look at the other side of Florida there, uh, you can see that those temperatures are much cooler because they're connected to the larger gyre of the Atlantic Ocean. So you'll always get these, you know, kind of neutered cane storms over the southern Gulf, Florida Straits, the Yucatan Peninsula. Um, they're never going to really develop into hurricanes. Uh, but again, it shows you even the most benign tropical weathers can produce huge amounts of flooding. So uh, let me get back to the the map here. And uh, the, the 8 to 14 day for our, our precipitation, we get a little bit, but uh, as you say, nothing uh, spectacular in our neck yeah, of the woods. Yeah, not, nothing is going to be uh, too much about that because the way the systems are coming through, they're coming in from the north and west, so it's really hard to get you know, huge amounts of rain uh, with these type of setups. Uh, but the bottom line is um, anything that does develop um, most likely is probably not going to produce heavy rain. It could be a severe weather maker. Uh, mm -hmm. But other than that, it shouldn't be too bad. So this is good that you were showing this because the month of March, if you recall, um, we had, again, extremely variable conditions and it's amazing that we actually ended up 1.7 degrees above normal because we had a couple of days in there of temperatures in the upper 70s and I think days close to 80. But we also, um, April was terrible because it was just cloudy and rainy. And I guarantee if you take the temperature, say at Waukegan or in Evanston, it was probably not minus 2.7 but probably minus 4.7. Yeah. Uh, it was that much colder along the lakefront. So I, I really wish the weather service would, would, would publish temperatures uh, of a more localized, you know, super, almost like, like what you would see like in San Francisco, where you see these like, like super duper high resolution, you know, climate numbers. And, and they don't do that during the summertime. And I think it would be really beneficial uh, for most people to see how much our climate does vary around here um, in the yeah. springtime. Uh, yeah, rainfall was above average. Even in the month of May, while it actually was below normal, um, we did have some days where we had some pretty, you know, I think it was like 16 out of the 31 days we had precipitation, but we never got into a heavy rain event. And it's those heavy rain events that always take the numbers and skew them, you know, higher than average. But nonetheless... 1.78 inches above normal, but more importantly, almost 10 to 12 inches more rain this climatological spring than we had last year. 
Wow. And by the way, uh, yeah, oh yeah, it was much, much more. And then when you really look at central Illinois, central Illinois was almost 15 to 18 inches higher wow. during this spring. And one of the things I look at quite a bit is the uh, number of days that farmers can get into their fields. At one point, I think mid-May, we had like 5% of the corn uh, planted. They literally were working 20-hour days, and they got all the plant, all the corn in. Uh, but it was, it was, you know, kind of nip and tuck there for a little bit. So temperatures for the climatological period of spring, which we called, you know, March 30, March 1st to May 31st, um, way below normal across the Northern Plains. They had record amount of snow. They had blizzard conditions up there, huge amounts of precipitation, uh, rainfall that is. Um, and then when you go to the anomaly map, which is really a better one uh, to look at, then you can see the below normal all the way from uh, Minnesota and Wisconsin back towards the Pacific Northwest. So you had some areas in parts of Wyoming, and this is a broad area. Uh, you go from Oregon, Idaho, Wyoming, Montana, North Dakota, Minnesota of four to six degrees below normal for a period. That, that's really, really cold for three months. Yeah. So luckily they started out their winter fairly warm. If you remember, December was like no winter up there. Yeah. And then they kind of got into winter about the middle of January. Um, and then again, consequently, you know, above average. So even though Montana didn't be too much above, uh, boy, you got into the Dakotas and Minnesota and Wisconsin, and those lakes are, are literally overflowing. But again, <laughs> when you look at the period, especially the anomaly map for the desert Southwest, because um, this is just precipitation. So you go to the next one. The anomaly map really shows it well. Uh, a large, large area of four to eight inches, uh, literally from Texas all the way to California. And and you don't you don't recover from that in the summertime. So again, look at the area from literally eastern Oklahoma down into uh, Florida, anywhere between eight and ten inches above normal. And this is what we've begun to see these these highly variable patterns where. Drought stays drought and stays flood. And again, this pattern that we got into just literally stayed like that um, for a long period of time. So that's also one of the reasons why we're able to uh, enjoy the the benefits of the of the of the green grass here. I'm going to move to. uh, I'm also looking at real quick. I'm looking at lake temperatures just now, varying from 57 degrees at the Waukegan buoy, 58.8 at Wilmette, and 60. at the Chicago buoy at Lake Yeah, Michigan. and again, and, and, and those, are, those are like literally the top three feet. Um, if you take mm-hmm. a dive into the middle of the lake, it's only about 48 degrees. So that mid-lake buoy yeah, is really the one that's the most important one. Um, hasn't and finished turning week, over yet. Yeah, right. Um, I think last week, Lake Superior was still 36 degrees and the Sheboygan uh, mid-lake buoy was 38, which was about seven degrees below normal for this time of the year. Now, granted, we've seen that happen before, and it turns over, as you mentioned, Pig, pretty quickly. Um, but the thing that really helps the lakes warm up is the, is the warm overnights and uh, high levels of humidity. We were under a, a, a frost advisory again last night for northern Wisconsin. I did not get to see how low the temperatures got, but... Just last week, they had they had readings across Eagle Ridge or Eagle Ridge Eagle River and Rhinelander in the upper twenties. 
And mm-hmm. that to me is amazing that you can get that cold this um, late in the season with the ground being that wet. Uh, so really just the, the cold across central central yeah. Canada really, really, really all right, yeah. Rick. Uh, boy, we're way over, but uh, thank you so much, and thank you for uh, for always. Uh, you know, we're, I'm not sure when we'll uh, meet again here, but we will at some point. We'll do. We don't know when we'll see each other again, but I'm sure we'll be in communicado with each other. All right, see you guys. All right, you take care. All right, let's get out of here. And thank, uh, well, uh, lots of great comments from listeners this morning, too. Thank you so much. Oh, everyone. boy, and we're now we're getting spammed. Good. Good time to get out of here because uh, we just got <laughs> we just got the bots uh, weighing in on, on Restream. Uh, thanks to Craig LaHoulier and Casey Tomato for being on the show. Thanks to meteorologist Rick DeBile. Thanks to Kathleen. Thanks to Lagata, the cat, Basil, the dog. Remember, next week is our final show for uh, for the time being, whatever that means. Uh, so we hope you join us then. Thank you, everybody watching today. Great comments. Uh, good questions. Until next time, go green or go home. Uh, Stadler? Uh, what? Is that it? Yes, it's over. How'd you like it? I don't know. I slept through the whole thing. Well, you didn't miss much. Uh.